Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this morning. We thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you that uh, according to your design that you have set apart one day for your people to rest and for your people together in worship of you. Uh, This you have established and we thank you for this. We pray today that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us as we conclude our study on this topic, but so also rejoice in the wisdom that you teach us through the book of Proverbs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a a quick uh, review from last week. Uh, Looking around, I would imagine that all of you were here, uh, but last week we looked at the characteristics of good work. What are the characteristics of good work? And you may remember that I said that uh, the Proverbs actually deals more with the negatives than than the positives, confronting laziness within uh, us and within others. Uh, And so we we didn't look at a lot of Scripture last week, uh, although I think maybe... The, the section that we looked at out of Proverbs 31 may have garnered the most conversation I think that I've ever had after a class. I think one of you uh, even said, where is this person? Um, and, uh, and so it was fun to look at Proverbs 31 and to look at uh, the characteristics of wisdom within a, a, a person. We, we saw that, that a person of wisdom is industrious. Uh, they're not someone that is lazy. Uh, they're not someone uh, that lets other people do the work while they simply sit by, but rather they are an industrious person. We saw last week that a, a person, the good work is characterized by prioritizing, uh, by prioritizing, understanding what we need to focus on, uh, what we need to, uh, how we need to direct this good work right? And not waste our time uh, and and spinning our wheels, so to speak, on things that are not of a top priority. And then thirdly, we looked at diligence, um, which uh, after church, uh, someone uh, said as they were leaving, they said, my new favorite word. I don't use that word, and now it's my new favorite word, diligence. And uh, we looked at the importance uh, of being diligent consistently working in a way that we should, a way that is is God-honoring. And so that's what we looked at last week. Now, this morning, uh, we're we're going to look actually at at just two topics and a few verses. And of course, we'll have discussion on that. And then I have a few other things that I want to tie in uh, in the conclusion of this. But the question for your consideration is, is what are the benefits... What are the benefits of work? Now, in asking that question, I realize that some of you immediately say, that's so obvious. You know, I I jokingly give the example of that my kids call Captain Obvious. You know, it's it's like, oh, Dad, that's a Captain Obvious moment. Of course, water's wet. Of course, the sky is blue, you know, that sort of thing. And and to a certain extent, asking this question, I kind of feel like what my kids call Captain Obvious. What are the benefits of work? Of course. But on the other side of it is, I do think that we live in an age where there is a disconnect with this question. And, and, and bear with me just a second. This is not a social commentary. I just want to show you how relevant this is to your life, my life, my kid's life, my grandkid's life, and that's this. 
is that in the age in which we live, work has been defined not as a pre-fall gift given to man, but that it is a drudgery, and that it is a burden, that it is an obligation. And we even live in an age where many think that it is an obligation for some and not others even. But there is oftentimes a disconnect from what are the benefits. We were in uh, Nashville this last week uh, helping pack up and, and move my, my oldest son and his wife and our granddaughter, and I had to run down. Uh, something came up that, that we needed that was very, very, very important. Coffee. So I run down to the grocery store that's close to their house, and there's a guy, he's pulled up, and he's coming in, and I can tell because I'm there waiting for the store to open at 7 o'clock, and it's like 6.50, 6.55, and this, I can just tell this guy, he's been out late, uh, he's coming into work, and he turns to me, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And, uh, or something like, how's it going? I forgot what I said. And he turns to me and he, and he says something along the lines of, um, another day, another dollar. And um, I, 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 he kind of cheered up. I mean, it was almost kind of like, I'm, I'm going in here. I've got work. I have a, a, a job to, to go to. Now, he may have just smiled because I was smiling at him and none of those thoughts crossed his mind whatsoever. But that's the way I interpreted it. And I thought, at least in that little moment, well, that's, that's healthy. That's, that, that's good. Because one of the benefits of work, Captain Obvious Moment, is tangible results. Tangible results. What would be an example of that? Well, the Proverbs uses both literally and metaphorically. This is one of the beautiful, uh, beautiful things about the poetry of the Proverbs is it has these, these certain double entendres built into them in which the, pro, the sage will use a, a tangible thing like food to teach us about food and everything else. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 16.26 A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. In your words, tell me what this this proverb means. What what does this mean? You don't work, you don't eat. eat. Well, I, I know there are people that don't work and they do eat. I know some people that don't work at all and they eat really, really well on my dime and yours. Right? So what does this mean? I think Don's right. He's captured part of it, but what's the rest of it? If he eats, he can Well, it could be. Could could be a sustenance point, yeah. But what else? Okay, so at the most basic level, his hunger, that's his appetite, right? His, his, his hunger leads him to go and do work. Whose hunger is it? This is key. Whose hunger is it? Whose appetite? The workers. Well, you see, so you look at me like, duh, the workers. But we just established that there are people that get food that don't work. 
So we now know something about this person. They are able to work. They are willing to work. And there is something within them that is just basic to the human condition, right? Very basic to our human condition. Someone who is able to work and willing to work, they go to work just like that guy that I saw going into the grocery store, another day, another dollar. Well, guess what? He's working and he knows in order for him to be able to eat, he's got to work. It was a great grocery store. I'm sure he eats well. But the point is, is that there is a direct correlation to work and eating. And we see here the the poetic expression. What does it mean his mouth urges him on? Does he mean his mouth? Yeah, it's it's really a fascinating expression. So the the mouth urges nothing, right? Right? That the mouth is just there. But what the, the sage is doing here is he's using the mouth, the, the direction that food enters our body is through the mouth. He personifies mouth as the worker. Now, it's part of his anatomy, right? His mouth urges him on. It's just a figurative way of saying the exact same thing. It's a redundancy as the first half, just a different perspective. The at-worker, he is someone who is able and willing to work. His appetite urges him on. I mean, his appetite works for him, meaning that he doesn't even have to drum up an appetite. He gets hungry. And it incentivizes him to work. His mouth, which is the way in which the food is going to enter his body, that is also a depiction of what motivates him. It drives him on. And another obvious statement, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've I've, I've recently... I'm trying not to use... Well, I say I'm trying not to use too many family examples here, but they're probably not going to watch this video. So, you know... So, so, my, so my, my youngest son is, is, is looking for, for a job, and we're encouraging him to get a part-time job to help with college expenses and this sort of thing. And uh, he, he says something along the lines early on in the process, um, you know, well, well that, that's not very fulfilling. I don't, I don't want to do that. Now, see, you're all laughing. He didn't laugh. <laughs> He was dead serious, right? Well, I just—I think I did laugh. Actually, I'm like, you know, I'm—I'm um, I'm pretty sure in the history of college part-time jobs, nobody felt fulfilled in that job. Pretty—I'm pretty sure, like, like a lot of us hated our part-time jobs in 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 college, um, and so I'm kind of thinking that maybe you ought to just look for something that is reasonably safe, like you're not going to lose any limbs or anything like that, and that pays money. I'm pretty sure that's it. You know, those are the two criterias. Stay alive and make money. And, um, and, and he didn't laugh at that either. Um, but but, but we, we live in an age, and, and I'm, 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 you know, again, I'm, I'm trying not to sound like, you know, the, the crotchety old dad or anything, but, but, but there is a sense in which, and we're actually, I'm, I'm told this, I'm no longer in business, but I'm told this by my friends who are in business, that the rules have changed within the workplace. And the millennials have changed 
the, the way in which uh, business works and managers relate to their employees and so forth and so on. And a lot of that is through the lens of different types of perspectives such as fulfillment and enjoyment and things of this nature um, that, that are, are, are contrary to those of us, you know, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 70s and, and 80s, and, and that's just not the way that we were taught that things work, and it's very different. But at the same time, I think we also have to be careful not to dismiss the teaching moment that comes that there is genuinely labor that is as basic as make money, eat food. It's, it's, that, it's that basic. And again, I'm looking around, and some of you are snickering, but this is our truth, this is a truism through the Proverbs that, that would be a benefit to our culture embracing. Look at the second proverb, Proverb 27, 18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Okay, I'm just focusing on the first clause, although I'll mention the second one uh, in just a second because it, this is one of those uh, proverbs that seems like how are these two related. But the first part of it, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. All right, so just stop there. What, does this, what do we learn about this tender of a fig tree? To, this is this is this is the word diligent, right? So so a, a, I'm not a, a tender of, of fig trees, um, but but I, I know a little bit about gardening. But I would imagine that the fig tree has to be fertilized. I would imagine it has to be pruned in the right way and in the right season. It has to be properly cared for in order that it may produce fruit. And the better a fig tree, I would imagine, is tended the better food, fruit it will produce. In general, what is this teaching us about a specific job, the work, the benefit of it? Tend something and it will produce for you. It's one of the beautiful things about creation, isn't it? Tend something and it will produce food for you. What's the converse of that? Yeah, don't, fit, don't tend the fig tree. It's not going to, to yield what you want. Last summer, I had a great crop of blackberries. I think I even bragged to you in the class, like I was gentleman farmer at my blackberries. Some even ate some of my blackberries. And during the fall and winter, we allowed this beautiful vine to grow up, and it was beautiful all over our blackberry bushes, and it ruined them. We hardly had any blackberries this year because this vine took it over and kept it from producing. I didn't tend my garden, and so I got, and I'm not joking when I say, I'm not sure I could have even filled up a small bowl of blackberries this year. And so the same thing then carries over into work. If we want something to produce, we have to tend it. We have to work it. We have to be diligent. So what in the world does the second part of that proverb mean? He who guards his master will be honored. And while you're thinking about that, I know they seem unrelated, so I'm going to help you a little bit. Think of the word diligent. Think of the word diligent. Now, what does the second clause mean? He who guards his master will be honored. 
Yeah, a good steward gets rewarded. Think about this as an, in an employer-employee arrangement. Same, same thing. Do what? Okay, don't, don't, don't talk about him, right? So, so could be guarding could imply his words, I suppose. Yeah. What else? Employer-employee relationship. What do, we, what do we learn about this employee? He's diligent. He, he, he's, a, he's a faithful steward. He's faithful in his service. In fact, he's such a good employee that what's the result? We've now taken it out of the metaphor of food and applied it to what? Honor. Because that is another tangible benefit of work. And you say, well, I mean, you know, you can... You can work and not, not be honored. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Huh. Really? Yeah, have you ever worked a job where your, your, your employer treated you like dirt, didn't even know your name? You worked as hard as you could and you were treated like a number? Ever had that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So it is a big deal. Randy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all workers are not the same. You know, mm-hmm. I know talking about it here, but workers being workers. Yeah. But, but we are. Some aspire to better things, and there's a world full of maybe, maybe not. But as a manager of workers, your job, your, your work is managing these people out there. Mm-hmm. Collecting whatever the wind is up and getting them doing whatever the people that they want to work are doing. That's excellent. Let me repeat just a summary of that for the video is it won't pick that up. But what you said was that workers are not all the same. There are some who they walk in the door and they aspire uh, to do the, the best job that they can and to, to do better and to be more. There are others who just are simply punching the clock. A good manager, uh, from your work experience, a good, good manager is one who understands those differences, understands the uniqueness of those workers, and helps them to bring out the best uh, in, in them. Is that a fair summary? What do you think the proverb, in, in, in that truth that you just stated, what do you uh, think that this proverb teaches us on that topic? He who guards his master will be honored. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. <clears throat> now I'm not going to repeat that for the video. <laughs> but this is real honor. Yeah, this is this is. Yeah, I think you're right, and I, I think that that where I was going with that is is that included in this service to one's master or, or employer includes all levels of management, all different duties and responsibilities. And uh, I mean, just where where my mind goes on that is that we've we've all encountered the mid-level manager who blames their employees for a lack of success, production, whatever the case is, you know. I mean, I would be a great pastor were it not for the people of this church. 
right? Not that you're employees, but I mean, you know, you get these lame examples, uh, and, uh, and, and then the, the, the other, I mean, these lame comments, and yet the, the other side is when you see an excellent manager, it's almost as if it's so subtle you don't pick up on it unless you become a student of what they're doing because they're, they're, in, they're encouraging people and they're bringing out the best in people and, and, and the organization runs like a well-oiled machine because of those subtle uh, benefits that they bring to the workplace. And so I, I think in this uh, is that uh, we, we see the complexities of, of these tangible results, whether it be food, whether it be honor. And then the last one I've got listed for you, Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So this is a straightforward uh, proverb, right? So what does it mean whoever works his land will have plenty of bread? So... Does it literally mean bread? Does the sage literally mean bread? Well, it could, right? Could could be bread. Harvest the wheat, grind the wheat, make the flour, bake the bread. Sure, it can mean bread, but 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 bread can also be used uh, in in this metaphorically in anything that work produces, right? So whoever works his land will have plenty, huh? For getting fruit from their labor. So what does this mean? What does this, this proverb tell us? That's right. It's back to diligence, isn't it? This is somebody who works their land, right? So I'm driving down the, the endless interstate of I-40 yesterday, driving a truck with all sorts of stuff. And, and I love to go through the farmland areas and see the cultivated fields, and then when you see a field that is fallow, it's a big difference, right? All sorts of weeds. It's, it's really not pretty. It, it doesn't seem cultivated like the other fields. And we know that one of the fields is going to provide food. The other, just backbreaking labor of pulling weeds, right? And so the person who is diligent, they're working. They're working their land, and the result, the tangible result of that is what that land produces, the the fruit, as it were, of that labor. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. There's all sorts of play here in the language, isn't there? Worthless, plenty, what else was plenty in the first clause? The bread was plenty because of working, and so we have a repetition of the word plenty, but I want to draw your attention to the expression worthless pursuits. What does that mean? What, what, what would be an example of a worthless pursuit? I think of the prodigal son while he's away. Before he comes back home, he was following worthless pursuits. And that's what he's following. Yeah, yeah. So the prodigal son would be a good example of pursuing worthless pursuits. There's an interesting uh, play on this word worthless. Is it, is it a talking about worthless as in the hedonism of the prodigal son? Or is it talking about economic value, worthless? And it incidentally could mean both. So think about that. Worthless pursuits plenty of poverty. It's not a, it's not a, your work 
Well, maybe. It could, it could involve diligent, but, but actually I know people that can be really diligent at pursuing worthless pursuits. So what's, what's the general teaching here? Okay, yeah, it could be simply a, someone's pursuing something and it, it, it's not valuable to the marketplace. And so they're, they're not able to sell the goods and therefore not able to provide or the, for the food they need. What else? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's a good example in, in the workplace of, 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 of someone who's not productive because they're always uh, chasing rabbits, we, you, we would say. That's good. That's good. What else? Yeah, yeah, this is a great example. Not going to re- repeat that on the video. In the <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, it's a great example. I mean part of and and just to carry with that, I mean part of growing up is is learning that there there is a, a time when I mean when you you do silly things like that, but but it's not a life pursuit. It's not something that, that motivates you. And we are all, whether this is a season of your life where uh, you're retired and, and no longer working, or this is, you're, you're you know, in that age, like my age, where this is a get-it-done time and, and be productive in the, in the workplace, regardless of, of your, your age, uh, the, the point is, is that, that we are not to allow ourselves to be led astray by worthless things. So much so that they take away from that which is of value. And we're given the most extreme example here in, in this proverb of, of plenty of poverty, right? Uh, but but that that's, could be hyperbole. I mean, the point is, is that we need to learn to prioritize. This is a great example uh, uh, for a certain generation, but we see this right now, and I'm, this is not John's soapbox uh, regarding social media. I'm inundated with articles that I read or that are sent to me on this topic of how social media has become an addiction, and an addiction at a point where it's affecting the workplace. And I read an article, I believe it was two or three weeks ago, where it was talking about this has become, and they, they used the word, I'm not, I, I don't know if this is hyperbole or not, they used the word epidemic in the workplace, where work, employers are finding a, a direct correlation between the amount of time that someone is spending to the performance in their workplace. Another study that came out, this was done by an economist out of Florida. This is so fascinating, and I didn't even know this, and I'm not a golfer, so I'm going to probably mess up how I explain this, uh, but apparently there is a PGA website, and if you're like a, a really good golfer uh, that you go, and if you play a round of golf, then you enter that on the PGA website. 
And so uh, the uh, so if I go play, you know, this week, 18 rounds, I go and I enter the statistics. And so it's this massive amount of statistics on registered PGA golfers around the country. I guess around the world, I don't know. But anyway, this economist did a correlation study between the amount, because you can calculate how much golf somebody's playing, because I guess you have to finish 18 holes to enter your statistics. He calculated, did a correlation between the amount of someone, play, number of times someone plays golf, to the 1,500 CEOs of top corporations, publicly traded corporations within the United States. And I believe it was and don't quote me on this, but I believe it was out of 1,500, the top CEOs, I think it was 348 or somewhere around in there of them were registered PGA golfers. That's a pretty high number. And then he calculated, and you know where I'm going with this, the correlation between how the publicly traded company is doing performance-wise and the amount of golf that that CEO played. And guess what they found out? He said it was like dumb arithmetic. No complex math was needed. The more golf a CEO played, the lower the performance of the publicly traded company. Isn't that fascinating? And then he gave a statistic, and you'll have to ask me in private sometime, and I'll tell you who it was, but there was one president of the United States who in his first three weeks in office played a record amount of golf more than professional golfers. And I'm not going to tell you who it was. But, can't tell you that either. I'm not going to tell you that either. It, I, I know for a fact it was a Republicrat. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I'm not answering that. That's not fair. Uh, not fair at all. But I thought that was so fascinating after studying the Proverbs and, and, and listening to that report uh, about that correlation because I thought, this is age old. When you pursue, and I'm not saying that, that golf is a worthless pursuit, I am saying that an excessive amount of golf is a worthless pursuit. How that correlates to what is produced from your life, and I can assure you it's contrary to industrious prioritizing and diligence, right? Second topic, respect. I got to get off that quick. Now everybody's wondering, who is that president? Not going to tell you. Go read the report. The economist was an economist out of the University of Florida, so you can find that. Okay, uh, respect. Look at Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, let's understand the context. So first of all, it doesn't have to apply simply to men, right? Uh, we're talking about someone. But what is it about their work? And we're, we're going to talk about respect, but I want to make, make sure we first of all understand this worker there's a worker, and what do we learn about his or her work? They're skillful. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be skillful, to do skillful work? Or I'm, I'm sorry, that, that, that's, that's not what it says. To, to be skillful in his work or her work. What does that mean? Okay. 
Okay, if you couldn't hear Hilda, she said he's not just someone that's gifted, it's someone that has developed uh, their, their skills, so to speak, to, to be what? Skillful. The implication is, is that this person has developed their giftedness to the point where they are noticeable. And they're noticeable by whom? I mean, think about it. I mean, is there, is there anyone high, of higher position than the king? No. So the most honored person, the most respected person within the country acknowledges this person, and he doesn't acknowledge them. So this is clearly before uh, people became famous for being famous, right? It's, he's, not, he's not known by the king for his good looks, or for, uh, insert other example, but rather for athletic performance or something like that, but rather skillful in his or her work. What does this say? Before we even go on and, and look at the idea of, of, of obscure men, uh, what, what does this say about work? And I'll just start it off while you're thinking. What does this say about work? Well, so first of all, it, it tells me that um, uh, we're always in the process of continuous improvement. Right? So I'll give you an example in my own life, but you, I'm, I'm wanting you to give me examples from your life. Uh, example from my life. So, and this is, this is the truth. My wife can tell you I'm, I'm not uh, telling a, a fib here. Uh, I, I, I don't think I have ever preached a sermon that, that could not be improved on significantly. And I, and I mean significantly. And Monday morning rolls around, and I think about the sermon. And there are some, to be clear, this is, a, this is something every pastor will tell you they struggle with this. There are some times where I'm on the drive home, and I'm in the depths of despair, right? Just like, Wow. That was really, really double, triple, quadruple bad. I just did a poor, poor job on that. And then there are other times where I'm like, you know, I think I got the point across. I think it was okay. And sometimes my wife helps me and says, it wasn't as good as you think it is. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, but I get around to Monday morning and I, and I review myself. I'm an employee and also a pastor and a preacher. And so I'm like, okay, I need to do employee review. How did we do on this? Well, I didn't do well here. I didn't convey this well. Okay, well, how can I make corrections? And quite candidly, I hope, and I've not done this, but I hope if we were to go back and to listen to some of my sermons from late 2012, I pray they're better today. I hope that they are. And if they're not, I'm going to go back to the depths of despair uh, right? Because we want to be in the, meth, the process of continuous improvement. And incidentally, this is not just about pastors, is it? I want to do a better job at being a parent. I want to do a better job at being, insert whatever the case is, is for you. And so we're inconsistently becoming skilled in our work, whether it's work or not. What would be another example? 
now that I've spilled my life and opened up to you in complete vulnerability and you'll never look at me the same again. Hopefully I can never look at you the same again. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't do this, so no, I can't, can't share with the world, right? Watching eye surgery on Saturdays. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Thanks for not inviting me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. Those are two great examples. Excellent. Anybody else? Yeah, I think that's a, a good good point. I mean, you know, you think about the concept of, uh, we're almost out of time, but you think about the concept which is debated on whether or not this is precise or not, but I would imagine all of you have read about the 10,000 hours. Um, it was originally written about, I believe, in the book, The Pursuit of Excellence, but I believe it was Malcolm Gladwell who really popularized the concept in his book, uh, help me here, What the 10,000 hours in Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Maybe blink, but I don't think it was. The tipping point. It was Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. He really popularized the idea that they went back and studied successful people who were skilled in their work, whether it was the Beatles or whether it was Bill Gates and all of these different examples, and they studied and found that it was typically after about 10,000 hours that they uh, sort of went, that was the tipping point. They, they went to that, that next level, so to speak, of that. And I kid you not, another point of vulnerability, I have actually gone back and calculated how many hours I have preached. Because I've been curious. I'm like, you know, well, I'm not where I want to be, and i got to get better at, at, at this skill that I want to develop, and um, I'm not at 10,000 hours yet, fascinatingly enough. Yeah, coming up on our 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Now, if you count in my study time, then I'm past it. Uh, but actually, just being in the pulpit, I'm not, I'm not there. So uh, I think to Chris's point and to, to yours, experience and then this, this desire. Uh, 
let me, let me conclude here with Proverbs 31, 31. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We looked at that a little bit last week. But the general idea here as it would apply to a, a real person uh, rather than wisdom personified, is that uh, diligent work is respected in the workplace. It's not always uh, acknowledged. And I think about when I was in business and, and was a manager, how many times I did a poor job acknowledging uh, the work of others. Uh, but at the same time, eventually, good, excellent work gets noticed. Skill developed uh, becomes a benefit. And I think, Chris, to your point, to spiritualize it, that, of course, is the case in in our sanctification as we see we're of greater service to the kingdom as we seek and pursue holiness uh, all the more. Well, let me conclude with this. We have, uh, based on where we are in our study, so we're concluded with this topic today. I'm going to move to a new topic, but but we're going to end up uh, completing all of the topics, Lord willing, before the end of the year. Now, if you take our study today going into five, port, five parts, then I'm lying. Um, but I foresee us moving through some of the other parts a little more quickly. So I want you to do a favor for me. We're not hitting all the Proverbs. You've, you've probably figured this out if you're a student of the Bible and reading through the Proverbs consistently. If you're reading our reading plan, incidentally, that's out on the front table, uh, you're getting a little taste of Proverbs every single day. So you probably already figured out we're not going to get to that one. So what I want you to do is I want you to write those Proverbs down and I want you to give them to me. And we'll do a couple of sessions at the end of this study on some of the Proverbs that, you know, you always wanted to know what that meant, we're afraid to ask kind of proverb. And let's, let's look at those, um, because there are a couple of that immediately popped to my mind, especially the one about, what's the one Sydney and I, we, we joke about the, uh, the barn you know, it's, it's a messy barn, uh, and a barn sure is clean when you don't have animals in it. And the, anyway, that's not how the proverb goes, but that's the gist. Uh, so there's several proverbs uh, like that. So write those down for me, and just hand them to me on a Sunday uh, morning during Sunday school, and we'll look at those uh, when we get to the end of this study. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do desire to be people uh, who are skilled, in our labor that you give us, whatever that case may be, whether it's work uh, or whether it is our families, uh, whether it is work, uh, charitable work, whatever the case is, uh, we desire to do the very best that we can do. But we also confess that we don't want to do this for our own glory, uh, but rather we want you to be glorified in all of this. As you say in your word, do all things to the glory of God. And so whether we're working uh, for our appetite or whether we are working uh, to receive the, the due honor in the workplace or whatever the case is, may you be glorified in all that we do. We desire to be a people who are not lazy, but are who are uh, diligent, hard workers, but we know how quickly our wicked heart can take that and lead us astray. And so may all that we do, even our assembly as this class, may it be done for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.